5, and we're going to look at verses 15 uh, to 21 and make some observations there. And so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We just did that, right? Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and God, we are privileged to, for many of us, have several copies of it, God. We're privileged that you've, you have kept it pure in all ages. We're thankful that we can be confident that when we read this word, we're hearing your words. And so, God, as we work through your words this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, grant us humility. Help us to see and apply to ourselves what it is that we're working through today. And Lord, as a result of being here, we take comfort in the reality and the promise that you are using what we're doing each and every Lord's Day to build us for eternity. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing that I would have you uh, just notice here in verses 15 and 16 is uh, that a good use of time makes for a wise walking with God. A good use of time makes for a wise walking with God. Verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because... Uh, the days are evil. And Paul, if you were to flip to another one of his letters, uh, the Church of Colossae, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, he says something similar here, but he brings in the onlooking world. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of time. In effect, the, the Apostle Paul here is saying, uh, he's, he's telling uh, the church, he's telling Christians that we should, as followers of Jesus Christ, be masters of our time. We should be masters of our time. We're expected by God to be good stewards of a 24-hour day, right? And we, and we may say things like, man, there's just not enough time in the day, or man, I, I wish I could get to that, but I just, I don't have enough time to be able to get to that. Or, uh, but in reality, according to the Word, God's given us exactly the time that we need in order to walk wisely, in order to walk in wisdom before him and, and walk in wisdom for ultimately even the edification of other people. Yet as Christians, we, we tend to walk with more of a, a mindlessness in regards to our schedules. And, and we certainly don't tend to think of ourselves as stewards of time, right? Of finances, we may think of ourselves as, as stewards of finances, but, but maybe no, not so much time, uh, how we manage our time, how we manage our, our minutes in a given day. And, and do a thought experiment with me for a minute. Take, take an inventory just for a moment of your time. 
Just take inventory of your time. Take inventory of your month. Take inventory of, of your weeks, of your days. Take an inventory. Audit what you spend your time doing. That could be even a good just Lord's Day afternoon exercise, just to audit what you spend your time doing on a daily basis, because that's what the, the text here is calling us to do. The Apostle Paul says, look carefully how you walk. Examine how you walk. Watch how you walk. And this is important to us as believers for two reasons primarily. The first reason is that our days are numbered, right? Our days are numbered. Right? We're, we're experiencing this time uh, in our culture where people are paralyzed by fear because of, of something called COVID-19, Right? COVID-19 for us came out of nowhere, and we want to be wise, and we want to be safe, and we want to be careful, but COVID-19 showing up doesn't thwart the fact that before we were even born, God numbered our days, right? He numbered our days. Job says in chapter 14, verse 5, since his, speaking of man, since man's days are determined, and the number of man's months is with you, is with God, and you, God, have appointed his limits, he cannot pass. Or, or consider the words of David in Psalm 139, a pretty familiar psalm to those of you that have been in church life for any length of time. David says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Right? So our days are numbered. This, this should be a part of our consideration when we decide what we're going to spend time doing here with the limited time that the Lord has given us. The second reason is we have a purpose. We have a purpose. 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1, verse 14, the Apostle Paul was encouraging uh, his protege, if you will, young Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard. Is this call for guarding the good deposit entrusted to you. A part of, of stewarding our time is a, a guarding, if you will, of the good deposit entrusted to us, making sure that we're making the most of our time so that we can um, be, be heralds of the gospel effectively, so that we can uh, be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, put ourselves in positions to be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know Matthew chapter 28 uh, verses 18 to 20 speaks about it's the, what we know as the Great Commission, right? Before Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus gave these kind of parting words to his disciples, this big picture plan, if you will, for his church that required us to have the indwelling Holy Spirit um, in order to be obedient to this command. It says, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? Jesus Christ has all authority. We're not waiting for him to have authority. He has authority now, so what? Go, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so we, we have a limited amount of time. The Lord God has numbered our days and we have a purpose. And that purpose is, is to, to grow up in maturity in Christ, right? The Lord is preparing us day by day um, for eternity, and we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to be announcing the universal lordship over all things because we serve a Savior who has authority, and so we need to make the best use of our time. These should be, if you will, uh, the, the things in the background motivating how we spend our days. 
So in light of that, how do, you, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your days? Do you spend them with a mindfulness that they're numbered? Right? Do you spend them with a mindfulness that, that, that your purpose is to be a caretaker of, of what God's entrusted to you, which is the gospel? Or if you knew Christ was returning at the, the end of this week, how, how different would your daily life look? How would that impact the, the decisions that you make now? Our days are, are oftentimes characterized by anything other than, than wise stewardship. Right? Maybe our, day, our days are, are devoted to an idleness. And, and that can be easy in these quarantine days, right? We can become really idle given the current cultural climate. Right? Or maybe it's devoted to various entertainments. I just need to veg out. Right? Just too much media intake. Maybe it's devoted to godless conversations. Every time you open your mouth, it's not edifying. It, it tears down. Maybe the days are filled with you trying to make more money. You just never seem to have enough. Maybe your retirement years are Christless and selfish. Kids, maybe you're looking for the next best toy or outfit or electronic device, and you're not thankful to God for what you have. Right? Paul calls every one of us, no matter our season in life, to, to look carefully at how we walk and be skilled in the use of our time. Right? We're to be useful for the kingdom of God. That's why when Christ saved you, he didn't also kill you at that same moment. Right? He wants you to be useful for the kingdom of God. Right? The things that, that we spend our time doing should be advancing the fence post. It should be advancing the borders of God's kingdom. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Do we really believe that Jesus meant that when he taught us to pray that? And if we really believe that Jesus meant that when he taught us to pray that, how does that affect us on a daily basis? And to borrow language from, from, from last week's text, we're to live like people who are awake in Christ Jesus, who are awake in Christ Jesus. And we need to have a commitment to, to tell others to wake up. Right? And there's opposition to this type of living, isn't there? Right? And, and, and we have those three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And there, there's this opposition to... Um, to us being a steward, a good steward of our time. Our days this side of eternity, according to this passage, are consistently, what Paul's saying is, our days are consistently exposed to evil. We're tempted on a daily basis to waste our lives, and we waste our lives by wasting our time. So I think Paul here is saying, in a sense, that the fleeing this idleness of mind, fleeing this idleness of activity or this pursuit of just vain, selfish things is a way, is a means by which we can be prevented from being consumed by evil. Right? Redeeming the time, making wise use of the time that God's given you means taking advantage and seizing every opportunity to make much of Christ in your life and to make much of Christ in the lives of others as well. Look at Matthew 10 with me for just a moment. I think we might, may have this up on the screen, but here, here we have Jesus yes, speaking to his disciples. And he says this to his disciples, verse 16, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Like the disciples, we're sent out. We're, we're ambassadors for Christ, and Christ has sent us out in a place that's not neutral. We, we live in a place that is not neutral. There, there are wolves, right? And if you, you, if you see a wolf in the wilderness or outside or in your yard or wherever it is that you would see a wolf, you, you're not apathetic in your response, are you? Right? You're, you're not, you're not going to just kind of stand idle in the presence of a wolf. And this is the type of, of world since the fall of man that, that, that we're a part of. We're, we're in a world that's not neutral towards the Lord. We, we, we have, uh, in our journey through the book of Ephesians, we've seen that our condition, apart from the intervening work of the Holy Spirit, is not a neutral condition. We're not born uh, like Adam and Eve. We're not born as people who are either going to choose good or choose bad. We're born, according to the Scripture, as enemies of God. We're born, our position is that of being a child of wrath. That's our default position, and it is not a neutral position. Right? And we've seen that apart from the intervening work of the Lord, apart from, from God before the foundation of the world saying, you're mine, sending his son who took our sins upon himself, right? who, who's li- who lived his earthly ministry in the shadow of our sins, who took our sins to the cross and who left them in the empty tomb, apart from that and apart from the Holy Spirit applying our sins to the life of Christ and Christ's righteousness to us, we are children of wrath. But God has adopted us as sons and as daughters, and we live in a place that's not neutral. And when you live in a place that's not neutral, you don't have a neutral posture. You don't have a neutral attitude. Jesus told his disciples to be practical, to be sensible and intelligent like serpents. And he told them to be as innocent and as blameless as doves. We are called to be God-fearing, sent-out masters of time. And and, and we leverage, we're to leverage our time for the glory of God as a a means for uh, perseverance in the faith, and we we, we leverage our time for the eternal well-being of others. Secondly, if you're taking notes, Wise people understand God's will because they know God's word in faith, right? So point one, good use of time makes for a wise walking with God. And then according to verse 17 here, wise people understand God's will because they know God's word in faith. And the in faith bit of that is really important. Verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand. The word understand is significant. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul here, he, he calls for an, an abandonment of foolishness, which is this senselessness or a lack of reason, and he tells us to put on understanding God's will. Again, we, we've seen this kind of put off, put on type of language uh, in the book of Ephesians here, but we're to abandon foolishness, we're to put off foolishness, and we're to put on uh, understanding God's will. And, and here the word understanding, it implies more than knowledge. It's more than just knowledge, right? Any, any skeptic of Christianity can have a knowledge 
of facts. Right? Understanding here implies obedience. Understanding here implies devotion. And as Christians, we're to know and be devoted to the will of the Lord. And that, that's the opposite, according to the Apostle Paul, that's the opposite of unreasonableness. That's the opposite of foolishness. Right? Think again of Ephesians 1 to 3, right? Who God is for us in Christ Jesus. After Paul spent three chapters detailing the glories of Christ and the gospel of God, it would be unreasonable, it would be foolish for the church of Ephesus to not be devoted to understanding the will of God. It would be foolish for the church of Ephesus to not be devoted to the will of God, right? It would be foolish for the church of Ephesus and us to be devoted to any other thing, right? It would be foolish to allow anything or person to captivate our hearts other than Christ. It would be foolish for us to be wasters of time. So this begs the question, if we're devoted to the Lord, right? if, if, that's, if that's what we're devoted to, if we're to understand the will of the Lord, what exactly is the will of the Lord? Where can we find it? Right? And that, that's a question that every Christian has Every Christian has asked that question at, at, at some point in their li- in, some point in their life, and 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 some Christians spin their tires in the mud asking that question over and over and over again, looking for some sign or for some audible voice uh, from God telling them what they should do. All the while, their Bibles go unopened, and according to the Scriptures, it's the will of the Lord that we may have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, so that we may know the hope we've been called to, and we may know our glorious inheritance in Christ. It's the will of the Lord that we remember that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but have been redeemed by Jesus. It's the will of the Lord that there's one people in Christ made up of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. It's the will of the Lord that, that, we're, that we're to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's the will of the Lord that we're, we're to be mature in Christ Jesus. It's the will of the Lord that we not be persuaded by every new doctrine or philosophy. It's the will of the Lord that we speak the truth in love. It's the will of the Lord that we forsake our former sins. It's the will of the Lord that we be renewed in the spirit of our minds and righteousness and holiness. It's the will of the Lord that we be angry and not sin, but not for too long. It's the will of the Lord that we not steal but work hard and be generous. It's the will of the Lord that we watch our speech and let go of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. It's the will of the Lord that we forgive each other and be kind and tenderhearted. It's the will of the Lord that we walk in love in the same manner as Christ. It's the will of the Lord that we flee all forms of sexual sin. That's just a sampling of just the first five chapters of the book of Ephesians. That's just what we've covered so far in this study together. But, but if we were to bottom line it, we could say that it's the will of the Lord for his church to be sanctified, for his church to grow in Christ-likeness, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And we're to do that until the day that Christ returns. Right? We're, we are being prepared as God's people for eternity. Right? We're being prepared for the day when 
when we make use, good use, of absolutely every second, because every second will be spent worshiping our triune God without any hindrances whatsoever. That's what we're moving toward. That's what we're being prepared for as God's people. That's what we're practicing here every Lord's Day that we come together as God's church. Third, according to verse 18, Christians have self-control. Christians have self-control. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul, Paul here, he's not condemning the drinking of wine, but he's condemning the excess of it. He's condemning the excess of it. He's, he's condemning being drunk on wine, being out of control, if you will. And this really can be applied to anything in excess. Right? Paul is calling for this God-centered moderation. Right? Gifts, gifts from God, even gifts like wine, can become gods or, or masters very, very quickly. But the word debauchery, as it, as it relates to being drunk here, if you see that word in, in your Bible, it should draw our minds to the prodigal son. And if you know, if you remember the parable of the prodigal son, you remember that he squandered his rightful inheritance for a, a few moments of, of fleeting, godless pleasure. In fact, Jesus uses the language in Luke 15, which is where you can find that, that parable. He uses the language reckless living. Reckless living. And the word reckless is where we get the word prodigal from. And, and it's the same word that's used for debauchery here in our passage. It's the, it's the same word there. And as Christians, if we're living in drunkenness, our lives are being wasted and we're headed toward a disaster. Right? The prodigal son, he, he experienced famine and things got so bad that, that he began to hope that his father would just hire him like his father would hire any other servant. So the question we have to ask ourselves, what the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is, is calling us to examine are the excesses in our life. How are you living recklessly? Are you drinking too much? Do you spend your days and your nights drunk? Or, if we push it to, to extend to any type of lack of moderation, are, are you binging things like entertainment? Well, there's studies that talk about the dopamine releases, the pleasure chemicals that are released from electronic devices and overuse in electronic devices and how social media works and how much TV we're watching. There, there's an addictive um, programming. Out, there, there's algorithms out there that, that are geared toward ensuring addiction. So are you binging? Are you spending too much time engaged with that? Are you addicted to too much eating? Do you sleep too much? Do you work too much? How, how is your life reckless? What are the excessive habits in your life that are keeping you from growing in Christ's likeness? What is, is robbing you of joy? What is robbing you of finding your pleasure in the Lord? How are you wasting time? We keep kind of coming back to that. And, and Paul, he gives us the remedy for excess here in verse 18. 
It's the Holy Spirit of God, right? He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And in Paul in Galatians, uh, if you were to flip over there, uh, and I think we have this uh, in the slides as well, but the Apostle Paul, he gives us um, what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives as, as we commit ourselves as Christians to growing in Christ. He says in verses 22 to 23 of Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, get this, self-control against, against such things there is no law. Right? A fruit, not the only fruit, but a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Right? Sobriety requires self-control. And if you are a Christian, you have the capacity by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to repent and exhibit self-control. You have the capacity to do that. And, and this leads us really to a primary means by which the Lord's able to, to grow us into making the best use of our time, uh, understanding his will and having self-control. And it's his gathered church each Lord's Day. If you look with me in verses 19 through 21 here, the Apostle Paul says, he goes on, right? He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then we get into verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Christians gather regularly to be sanctified by God. Christians gather regularly to be sanctified by God. And you, you have heard me say this many times, but, but what Paul uh, is, is talking about and who he's talking to, and, and the context in which this letter would have been read is God's gathered flesh and blood church. The, the visible church, you here together, would have been a, a type of setting. It would have obviously looked different, but it would have been God's gathered church. And, and, and after the resurrection of Jesus, the, the early church made it a habit to gather each Lord's Day, just Sunday, and this pattern has continued to this day. God expects his church to gather, and he changes them. He sanctifies them. He, he, he helps us to be, uh, to be good stewards of our time. He helps us to have understanding of God's will. He helps us to grow in self-control each and every Lord's Day. And it has this trickle-down effect, if you will, into the rest of our lives, the Monday through Saturday. But what Paul's been doing over the last couple of chapters and will continue to do for the duration of this letter, he's, he's reminding Christians of how they're supposed to live. And here he gets to this issue of corporate worship right here. And one of the ways that God promises to build his church, to sanctify his church, is through the proclamation of the word. And one of the ways that we proclaim the word on the Lord's day is by singing when we're gathered. We don't need to neglect the role that singing the doctrines, right? What, what we just spent some time singing this week, what we do each week that we come is, is we may not be singing verbatim scripture, but we're at the very least singing the doctrines that are supported by the scripture. And it's not something that we have the right to skip and come in for the preaching, because God promises that this is a part of what he uses to build us for eternity. You get glimpses into the throne room of heaven. You see 
pictures of, of the elders. You see the, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim. You see them singing, worthy is the Lord. You see them singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory, singing the words, singing the, the doctrines of the Scripture are a way God uses to produce things in us that will stick with us for eternity. And that's why song selection, again, is so critical, right? He's saying we address one another. We're, we're looking one another in the eye, and we're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So think for a moment about how Paul instructs us, instructs us to sing. Because here, what I'm seeing in this passage is, is singing to God is not a you, you and the Lord activity. It's not you by yourself or you in a living room singing songs to God. And, and, and while that's good, right, and that's great to be able to do that, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying that when you gather as God's church, you're singing to God and you're reminding each other of the glories of the gospel. Now, as, as we sing, we do so with hearts that are devoted to the Lord. Right? Our singing is the overflow of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Right? As we sing, we're, we're looking each other in the eyes and we're saying, remember who you are in Christ Jesus. Remember who the King is. Remember that the King really is coming back. And as we sing... And as we charge each other to live as if the king is coming back, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God through Christ. And we do that as his bride gathered together, knowing that when he comes, all things will, will be made new, including us. And so God, God builds us for eternity through the means of us gathering each Lord's Day and singing together. He builds us uh, for eternity as we pray together corporately. He builds us for eternity as we hear the Word of God preached together. And He builds us for eternity as we participate in the sacraments. Right? Oftentimes, and we're going to come to the Lord's table, table here in just a minute, but uh, I oftentimes when I'm, I'm taking uh, the elements, I, I remember the words of Christ where when He inaugurates the Lord's Supper right, during Passover, He tells His disciples, I'm not going to take this again essentially until you're with me in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? The Lord is waiting to dine with us. He's waiting to dine with us. And, and as we take these elements in just a minute, our, our mind should be lifted to where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father, knowing that uh, he will stand again, according to Psalm 110, when all of his enemies are made his footstool. And he's going he's to make everything new, and we're going to dine with him again. And knowing that as, as we wait and as we partake of these means that he's prescribed, these ordinary means of grace, that God builds us using his methods. All right, we can't circumvent God's methods for sanctifying us. He's given us his method, and his method by which he promises to build us is us gathered as God's church, praying, submitting ourselves to the word, and uh, taking the sacraments together. So a starting point for us in our walk with the Lord, if we want to make the best use of our time, if we want to understand what the will of the Lord is, if we want to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit with self-control, is coming together each Lord's Day for the means God's prescribed to help us in our walk. And as we do, this will, by God's grace, trickle into the remainder of our week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have prescribed the way in which you build us for eternity. Lord, we come each Lord's Day, God, to to submit ourselves to your word, and we hear your word, God, as we read your word, as your word's preached, God, and as we sing the doctrines your word contains. And Lord, we thank you that we can gather and be reminded that as Christians we're to make the best use of our time for your glory and the good of other people. We're reminded that your word contains your will and we can submit our lives to it. We're reminded that your Holy Spirit lives in us and we can have self-control. And so thank you, God, that we can live in light of who we already are, which is sons and daughters. And we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.